Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I'm the host, Harlan Pickett. Hope that you are ready. We're diving into that primary care world. Folks, it can be scary. It can be scary for a primary care physician as well. So scary, in fact, that they'll drop it all and start their own practice in a not new model, but an up-and-coming model. Hadn't been around a super long time, but it is truly gaining, gaining track, traction, and that is the direct primary care model. Uh, the traditional model that you guys may know and love or not, most likely not, is a fee-for-service model, and it is much beloved by the insurance companies, but not so loved by the physicians themselves because of the barriers that it puts for them, because of payment issues, because of staffing issues, the admin side on dealing with health insurance and Medicare and Medicare Advantage plans and Medicaid, and boy, the list just goes on and on and on. It actually costs them much more in administration than it does to just do their job. Therefore, it becomes very burdensome for someone to even have a practice. But we are blessed today to be with Dr. Jeffrey Gold, who has broke that mold, got away from that crazy fee-for-service system, and started his direct primary care practice. Welcome aboard, Doc. Thanks so much for having me, Harlan. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to hopefully dropping some knowledge and experience here and uh you know, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me and talking about topics like this because more people we educate and the more people we inform, the better off we're all going to be in the long run. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm freshly back from the Hint Conference uh, in San Diego, 2023. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me in that conference was the push for physicians to be mentors especially direct primary care physicians, even primary care physicians, but those to get more people to go down that pathway because unfortunately the primary care physician is going the way of the dinosaur. If we don't make some major changes, buddy. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, I think that the hard part about what we try to do in direct primary care is, you know, sell something or get people into something when they don't even really know what, real primary care can even look like or what the potential is. And, you know, and I speak from experience having practiced it, you know, in the system, you know, for the first 10 to 12 years of my career is, you know, I became what I, what I've termed a referralist. Um, you know, you don't have, you go through three years of residency training, sometimes more if you do a fellowship and, you know, you're, you're trained to do all of these great, great things and acute 
disease management, chronic disease management, some procedures, urgent care. And then you get into this model where, you know, you're, you're basically have no time and all you're doing is entering codes into a computer and notes into a computer that are absolutely useless from a clinical side. And you just refer people everywhere because you just don't have time to deal with their issues. So I think the unfortunate, you know, roadblock or mountain we're up against, you know, whether it's trying to sell it to an individual or family or to an employer group is we have to take that vision of what they see as current primary care, which in my opinion is not good. And I'll preface by saying this is not against the doctors providing the care or trying to provide the care. It's a system issue is we have to say, hey, you know, let's pay 80 bucks a month average for something that you can't and haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. um, and and it's tough. You know, it's it's tough. And we're trying. Um, I think, you know, the medical education system doesn't help. Um, you know, we go through four years of medical school and a minimum of three years of residency and in no way, shape or form are we ever taught, you know, how to do a PL, how to do, you know, a balance sheet, how to run a business, um, you know, the business side of medicine, which, you know, look like in a perfect world, yeah, everybody would have equal access to every, you know, healthcare service. But the reality is, is it is a business and that doesn't have to be a bad term. Um, but unfortunately we're not trained on how to run a business. So a lot of us are trying to do this, you know, bootstrapped with both from a funding perspective, but also from a knowledge perspective. So, you know, I agree with you hundred percent. The key for young physicians or med students is if you're interested in primary care as a field, you know, get exposed to all of it you know, come shadow us, come rotate with us as a student and see, you know, if this is some something that piques your interest. Um, my long-term hope is, you know, can I build a business model that will help reduce those barriers of entry um, into DPC for either current practicing physicians that are unhappy um, or med students or whatever. But unfortunately, we got to get the demand up before we can get the supply, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it is interesting to see the changes. How long have you been in DPC now? I uh, I opened the first independent DPC practice in Massachusetts back in January of 15. So it's been about eight years. And so it's interesting, once again, coming back from the Hint Conference right now, and I know that you've gone to different conferences. Maybe you went to the DPC Summit this year as well. But what we're seeing is a industry a separate thing is a separate model this dpc model that's gaining enough traction there's actually businesses now to support you guys that are being created uh, in many cases it's by say doctors like you that see a need and say okay i saw this and i want to help others get in here so let me create this other company that does this so to help others move in it. And that is one of the more exciting things that i saw at hint was a lot of those pieces and parts that once again, you weren't taught in medical school, because why would you have been? Right. Those pieces and parts are being put together by not just someone trying to make a buck like we see out there in 
the real world, right? But people inside that ecosystem that say, here's the need. If we don't have something like this, it's going to be more difficult for people to get in. So let's build this. Let's do this piece here. Let's learn from our experience, just like you just said, and help move things along. All the way from financing to administration to you know, hiring, uh, making that transition as easy as possible. Not saying it's easy ever to pull the plug on a career and start another one. Even though you're doing the same thing, as you just mentioned, you're not doing the same thing because I was working for someone here. I'm working for myself over here. And that's a very scary thing. And, you know, I read a report and you can tell me if this is wrong. I read a report that said what primary care used to be was this beautiful dream. Uh, and why people went this direction, this beautiful dream of the, the, the excitement of diagnosis, finding out what is what's the, what is it the, the the excitement of treatment, so you can see these results. The and most of all the relationships, so the excitement of diagnosis, the the thrill of the treatment and seeing the results, and then the relationship that you had with those patients. That's what drew people to primary care. That's what gave doctors. This is what I got in this for. Was this right here? But so much of that has been stripped away. Like you said, you're a referral list. So you don't even get to go to that problem. If it falls within, I don't even have a CPT code for this. I don't, they don't give me one. I'm not allowed to have that CPT code. So if it falls in here within my eight minutes that I get to spend with you, I got to decide if you're going to be referred. And most of you are because, you know, first of all, I need those bonuses. I'm so lowly paid by the system. My reimbursements are so low. I need those re reimbursement bonuses that I get by moving that funnel along. And who wants that, right? That is just burnout waiting to happen. No one wants that system. That's not what was promised, right? Right. Am I off base there? No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, look, like most people that do choose even medicine in general of any field now, but particularly primary care, you know, they're not looking to be multimillionaires here. You know, you don't, there's easier ways of making money than giving up your twenties, you know, to get paid bupkis to work, you know, as, as an indentured servant, you know, like there's easier <laughs> to do it. So, you know, I don't think it's an issue you know, any doctor, nurse is trained to work hard, but it's what are we working hard at doing? Are we working hard at doing things that, you know, are to help some pad someone else's pocket? Or are we working hard taking care of people and, you know, helping them navigate, you know, this screwed up system we have? And I think when it's the latter, you know, that's just hard work. It isn't burnout. It's not abuse. It's just hard work that none of us mind doing. But when it gets to the point and, you know, I actually hate the term burnout because I think it's nothing more than gaslighting and abuse, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you're taking people that are highly trained and turning turning them into automatons. Um, you know, and I tell people the first question you should always ask is, who does your who does your doctor work for? Yes. Because if they're working for a big chain or a big hospital, they're not they're really indirectly working for you, not directly. And and look, you know, I think you used a good word, you know, with relationship. I mean, when you look at primary care, it really should be a longitudinal relationship-based transaction, um, which is why I think the membership model works so well for primary care. 
But, you know, when you need a knee surgeon to replace your knee, that's a transaction. You know, you don't, you don't want to see the knee surgeon again. You want to get fixed and be done with it. They're, they're two very different things. And the fact that we have developed a payment model where we pay for that knee replacement in the same way that we pay, you know, we get paid for to look in a kid's ear is asinine. Like we wouldn't do that in any other business model, but yet here we are. And, you know, the, the thing that I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize because they're shielded from it is when you look at the spend in the U S on mental health and primary care compared to specialty care, we are literally 6% of the spend. Yeah. And then we sit and wonder why we have problems, why, you know, mental health, you know, and I put mental health and primary care kind of in the, you know, I'm tired of the siloing. I think it, it really is one and the same. I mean, everything we do in primary care is really psychology of some sort. Um, and we wonder why it's, you know, screwed up and it's really not that hard. You know, I mean, people want to make it so complicated and, you know, to me, one of the things we were always taught in med school is Occam's razor. You know, if you have someone coming in with all these different sim- symptoms and different complaints, you try to find the one thing that simplifies it and unifies it. So you can find a diagnosis and get fix the problem. You know, healthcare has been made complex on purpose. Yes. As I was, I actually don't think the system's broken. I think it's broken for patients and doctors, but I think it's working exactly the way that it was built to work. Um, and there's a lot of people, you know, as Carl Schusler uses the term middles, you know, there's a lot of middles that are extracting tons of money and providing very little, if any value. And until people start waking up, I hate to say it. I just, I don't know if things are going to change no matter how much we risk and no matter how much we try. And, you know, maybe I'm being a fatalist, but you know, I think I'm also a realist. And I think, unfortunately, this mo- model that we have has been so ingrained in people's brains and DNA. I mean, I've written about it. I almost think it's like an addiction. And I, and I, you know, when you look at the psychology of addiction, it's people that just they don't want to live their life like that. But their brain tells them that this is normal. And, you know, what's the worst part of addiction going through the withdrawal? You know, we've got to get people through the withdrawal. I think deep down, most doctors and patients and nurses want things different and they want to change, but do they want to go through the part of change that's really friggin' hard? And you're right, it is hard. But, you know, we got to start asking ourselves, what do we want to leave our kids and grandkids? This? No, I, I agree with you 100%. I think a telling number that uh, as as I was getting ready to to talk to you about this today, that just really shines a lot of light on this. As as recently as 1980, and I know it's a long time now, right? But as recently as 1980, over 60% of the visits, so over 60% of visits people saw to a doctor were to a primary care doctor, okay? A little over 30% then, less than 40%, we're to a specialist. Today, that number has flipped. And almost 70% of visits are to a specialist. 
Yep. <laughs> well, why? Right. Why is that happening? Well, th the reason is why. But well, first of all, there's a whole lot less primary care physicians, unfortunately. That's a, a huge deal. But that visit spirals. So I, I was I, I, I think this way. So stay with me here for a second. I look at primary care, not where it's supposed to be, but everything now is a funnel of some kind. And I look at primary care as the a funnel, but it's kind of inverted. So at the, at the top of that funnel is primary care. And that's going to get the smallest amount of money as possible for the health system. Because like you said, most doctors now are working for that health system. Well, they want that to open up. And the only way that's going to open up is to get pa if it gets past that blockade that is the primary care. And the only way that doctor is going to get more money in this traditional system is by going ahead and keeping it down and pushing that funnel. But as a funnel goes, think about that funnel turned upside down. The further it goes, the bigger it gets and the bigger that money gets and the bigger that money gets until we finally get to the surgery. And that's when the hospital is really raking it in is when they finally get to that point. But it all starts most of the time anyway it starts with that primary care visit of some shape or form. Uh, interesting enough, how many people do you hear this from? And I know I hear it all the time of people that go see their primary care doctor, but they've never even met their doctor. Right. I'm never met their doctor that. a single time. Been going yeah, to this uh, Dr. Jones for five years. Well, how, if, but if I ran into him in the supermarket, I wouldn't even know who it was because I've never seen him a single time. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the, the the main issue is it's been, you know, devalued to the point where, you know, I mean, I even go on, you know, my local Facebook town groups up here and I see posts of, you know, who does so-and-so recommend for a spine surgeon? You're literally asking on Facebook for <laughs> who to cut your back open. And uh, I sit there and say, number one, the person probably doesn't even need a spine surgeon. Probably. Number two, if even if they do, is this the resource that you want to get it from? You know, it's it, it's sad and, and it's become where primary care used to be, you know, your first stop, you know, and even if it was an issue that needed to be sent to a specialist, it was the primary care doctor who would say, for your condition, this is who I recommend going. This is where I would go. Now it's like, who wants to sit on the phone, you know, for 30 minutes hitting buttons to just try to get an answer to something like no one wants to do that. I mean, the, you know, this, this service industry, I, I mean, other than the airlines and maybe cable, I mean, I can't think of anything worse in, in terms of how we treat people. Um, so, you know, for me, I just couldn't continue to work in a system where the incentives were so malaligned. Um, you know, it, I mean, you look at, I think, statistics to touch on what you were saying that always resonated with me is about, you know, 45% of Americans have no relationship with a primary care physician. And if they do, they, as you said, have no idea who that person is um, and just use them for referrals. And then the second is when you look at any employed primary care physician or nurse practitioner by a big hospital system per annum, they generate about 2 million downstream for that system. So they don't care that the primary care offices that they own are operating at a loss on a good day because right. that's why COVID 
you know, for hospital practices didn't matter at all. They just reopened the door because they operated a loss on a good day. I mean, they're operating at about 65% overhead on average. You know, when you look at a DPC practice, you know, we can be operating anywhere from 30% to 40% overhead because we don't need 20 people pushing paper around, you right. know, and, and, and that it's so much waste. And, you know, again, I, I credit, I give credit to a lot of these companies you mentioned that really are trying to, you know, do the right thing, make a buck off it. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm okay with that. I'm just not a crony capitalist, two different things um, that unfortunately Americans equate a lot of capitalism with crony capitalism, but we won't get into that topic um, <laughs> is I still think though, to at my core that the way we fix this is from the bottom up, you know, it's, it's, a, it's gotta be a very organic grassroots fix because this is an issue that doesn't matter whether you're white, doesn't matter whether you're rich, doesn't matter whether you're poor, it's going to affect all of us. And, and it is affecting all of us. And, you know, I look at it as very much, a social issue and in this country and there's people that are going broke you know because they get sick um you know insurance and healthcare is not real insurance it doesn't work like insurance and it should um you know we you talk to any people in the benefits industry employers 90% of the time what do they worry about? They worry about these rare major things that happen. And I'm not saying you don't worry about them or you don't care about them. You have to. That's what insurance is for. But we have so much low-hanging fruit that if we focused on the day-to-day -day stuff that people like me and my colleagues do, take a cholesterol panel, for example. How many of those are ordered in this country on a day-to-day -day basis and billed out at 90 bucks? We get them for six. If you start hacking away at that basic day-to-day -day stuff that is such easy, low-hanging fruit to turn the tide, the downstream changes would be immense and they would happen so quickly. But where's where's our Rosa Parks? Where, you know, where's our person that just won't get off the goddamn bus? You know, where where is the person that literally is going to say enough is enough and make a difference that people start waking up and do things differently. And, and I, I hate to say it, no matter what we do until the public decides to invoke change. And that's where, look, I don't, I don't think health insurance should have anything to do with someone's job. And I will say you, people should be, there should be a lot of people losing jobs because that's just my opinion. It should have nothing to do with your employment. Um, and we all know people that are miserable jobs that they hate just because they think they have good benefits, right? You, But the reality is that's not going to change anytime soon. So if employers could actually step up and do what they're supposed to do, we could change this game so much quicker than what's happening now. Um and that's what my hope is, is I hope that employers that have big numbers of lives that they're responsible for start doing their fiduciary duty and start taking care of their employees a lot better, including themselves, you know, and I, I think that independent 
the beauty of DPC is that, as you probably know, you've seen one, you've seen one. We, we're all different. We all do things differently. We all have different areas of expertise. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think until benefits advisors and employers start saying, hey, you know, what are our individual needs? Yes, we need these basic core things to protect our employees and take care of them. But the benefits package for a chain of yoga studios should be very different than the benefits package for a chain of truck drivers. You're dealing with two totally different beasts here. And we don't, we think it's like this one size fits all thing. And, right. you know, my, my hope, you know, and I've created a separate business entity is, you know, called the Starseed group is to have benefits advisors, doctor, DPC docs, specialists, pharmacy, imaging lab, all sitting at the table working together to devise these real ecosystems that start with primary care and mental health at the core, if you think of it like a wheel, they're the hub and everything else is a spoke off it. But until you fix that hub, you don't have a wheel. No, you're, you're exactly right. You're on the money there. Uh, you know, we have been brainwashed in this country to believe that health insurance and health care are the same thing yep. and that you must have one to have the other. And, and we know that's not true. Uh, you know, having most of that outside of health insurance any anything to do with it once again that's one of those middlemen people don't really think of it this way having it outside of that all healthcare is all a health insurance company does is bring together a supply chain of all these different pieces and employers need to understand that working either themselves to having someone on staff or working with a broker that understands this we put that together we put that supply chain together but it's got to start with primary care that's the only way you can actually control costs and make a true impact on your cost, your healthcare spend. And more importantly than that, I'm going to call it this, on the health of your folks. To yep. actually have real healthcare for your people. What a novel concept, right? Not a health insurance plan, but actual healthcare, having true access to healthcare to promote a healthier overall workforce. And what's that going to get? Healthy equals happy. It's it's really not rocket science here, right? Come on. If people are healthy, they're happier. They're not going to leave you. Why in the world would they leave a, a business where you're providing them a true access to healthcare, something they probably never had? I mean, we remember. I know you're you're probably old enough, Jeff, to remember when we really did have relationships with doctors. Yeah, I can remember my mom basically crying when her a gynecologist that she had had for 50 years retired. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's a level of trust in it. And it's, it's, you know, look, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a crude analogy, but you know, unless you're in an open relationship or open marriage, you know, when you bring a third party and it usually doesn't go very well, you know, it's the same kind of thing, you know, with primary care. It's like when we started allowing and look, we're to blame too. I mean, it, we're not off the hook here either. Um, when you let third parties encroach on that relationship, um, you know, things get messed up and the incentives are different and people aren't aligned and, you know, there's animosity and there's distrust and there's all these things. And, you know, the analogy I use a lot is, you know, look, if you want the mega millions tomorrow and you wanted to build a new house right on the, right on the water, 
you know, you wouldn't build it on a foundation that's rotten, you know, and that's what we have. We have all this incredible specialty care, you know, these tertiary hospitals, which we need. And, but yet we we're hanging on a foundation of stilts, you know, because we've so underinvested in primary care mental health. And I'll take what you said and even say that the corollary is true of, you know, healthy equals happiness. Well, I would say happiness equals health. I mean, people are miserable right now. They're unhappy. Their rates of mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, addiction of all sorts are through the roof. And what happens? You're not healthy physically because of that. And until we focus on mental health and really make a different type of investment in it, you will not get good physical outcomes, no matter how much you want to pray that they come. People that are happy, you know, and they should be the determinant of what makes them happy, but people that are happy are going to be healthier and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We've, we've harped on the problem. We know the problem. The problem is a daggum system. Let's talk about the solution. I want you to talk a little bit about your journey, your realization, and maybe even some of those that help bring you along, mentor you, give you yeah. some ideas and and talk about what it it's like now for you, for your happiness and all of that as well compared to what it was like. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in this area about 20 minutes north of Boston, um, you know, typical mass hole ended up coming back after I got away for a while. Um and, you know, I started as an employed physician, you know, just ready to make a salary after years of work and years of school. And, you know, I worked with a lot of great people, but it just got to the point that about 10 years in, I was like, you know, what am I doing? I mean, my my mom's mom was, you know, my best friend. We were super, I was her only grandchild. We were super close growing when I was growing up and she got sick early with dementia after my eighth eighth grade, I you know after my freshman year of high school in watching what the system did to a woman who worked her whole life, paid taxes her whole life, and then couldn't get help when she needed it was a big driver of why I went into medicine, particularly primary care in the first place. And there was one day I was at work and I started getting frustrated with this little old lady who could have been, you know, my grandmother because she had a list of issues that she wanted to discuss. And I was like, frustrated that I had four people in the waiting room. So was I mad at this little old lady? No. But when I got home that night, I was just like, what am I doing? And I knew I had to do something different. And, you know, I obviously as a trained physician, what else do you do? You do? I mean, you, you know, I couldn't go back and go play in the NHL. Like my real dream was growing up as a <laughs> hockey player as a kid, but, um, you know, I, I was like, I got to do something different. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it looked like. But, you know, a couple of months, year later, I was trying to set up a Twitter account. And one of the people I started following was, uh, I don't know if it was Free Market Medical Association or whatever, but they retweeted a tweet from Atlas MD and Dr. Josh Umber in Wichita, Kansas. There was something about you know, Imitrex, which is a migraine medicine being $200 at the local CVS and $15 at their practice, hashtag DPC. 
So I immediately try to figure out how do I hit reply all and ask what the hell is DPC and why do I not know? About it? You know, in the Boston area, I knew about concierge medicine, but I knew that wasn't, you know, for me because it still involved billing third parties. And I don't think, I don't begrudge anybody doing it, but I don't think it got to the root of what the problem with our system is. So the next day I was on the phone with Josh and, you know, kind of awestruck, you know, almost like I found my Messiah. And uh, from that point on, I knew where my path was going to go. And, you know, they were super supportive and super helpful. And, you know, I started going to the, I went to the DPC summit and, you know, everything I read and everything I did was just solidifying more and more that this is, you know, what I thought was not only right for me, but what I think is right for everyone in our system. Um, you know, we'll have naysayers that will argue that till the day I die and that's fine. Um, but you know, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not doing something right in my opinion. Um, you know, so I actually, I, I was employed by the big, one of the big Harvard, you know, teaching systems up here. And I actually brought, you know, this concept to the innovative boss that I had. And I put that innovative word in quotes for those that can't see, um, <laughs> because I thought, Hey, maybe we could pilot this and I wouldn't have to, you know, leave my employment and we could figure out a way to be innovative and do something different. And I, and I knew it would go over like a fart in church, but, you know, I said, Hey, you know, let's give it a go. And, it didn't go anywhere. And, you know, they asked me point blank if they couldn't work with me on it. Was I going to do it on my own? And I said, a hundred percent. I said, it's nothing, you know, against the people I work with. I liked who I worked with. I said, I just can't operate in this, in this system anymore. I was seeing 20, 25 people a day in eight to 10 minute increments and spending majority of my visits staring at a computer. So I can get my notes done and my coding done so that I could go home and see my, my kids. Um, and it just wasn't gratifying. It wasn't medicine. It was practicing insurance. I wasn't practicing medicine. So, you know, I ended up one of my patients who, you know, actually was very successful in the stop loss industry was where he made all his money back in like the eighties. Um, I told him about DPC and he was willing to give me a decent um, personal loan on, you know, a line of credit with really good terms and helped me as, you know, a business mentor and, you know, I wouldn't be doing it without them. And I opened up in 2015 and was told that I would fail, you know, that this would never work in Massachusetts because everybody has insurance. Well, number one, not everybody in Massachusetts has insurance. And number two, just because they have insurance doesn't mean they're getting care. Um, so, you know, I, I, in no way, shape or form, am I going to say this is easy? And I tell colleagues and med students that it's not easy. Um, but any of us can do it. You know, if you, if you're able to go to work hard at four years of a good college and four years of medical school, you can figure this out. And there's a community out there of a lot of us that are willing to help and willing to guide and, you know, try to help people make an individual DPC practice that works for them and their patients and their needs. And, you know, here I am eight years later and working at paying my investor back, but I'm profitable and, you know, growing and want to continue to grow. And, and I, I really don't think the system has any other way to go, but this road where we start using insurance for what it was intended for and paying as often 
for directly for any good and service as we can. Um, you know, and I'm a free market guy. Like, look, there's people who think 80 bucks a month to me is not of good value. Then fine. Don't, don't pay it, stay in the system and maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you won't. That's your choice. But my thing is at least get educated about what we do and why we do it and what the benefit is to you. You know, this is not a new restaurant opens up in San Antonio. Let's go try it. This is a very different type of purchase, you know, and, and transaction. And I, I want people to want to be here. Like if you don't want to be here, then we're already off on a bad foot. Um, but I think that that's where choice comes in. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, I got to get my scripts filled at CVS because my insurance says so. No, you don't. Right. It's a free work, free market. You, you can go elsewhere. You just may not be able to use your insurance there, um, which may be a good thing and save you money in the long run. Um, I have to go to this practice because it's a network. No, you don't. You know, um, but like you said, it's when you look back to this model, I mean, we're going back to what, 1960s when all this garbage started. Um, (laughs) it takes a long, takes a long time for people to understand why and how do you admit to yourself that what you've been doing for decades has robbed you blind? You know, it's, it's a hard thing to admit to. Um, but you know, again, I think it's up to patients and doctors and, you know, therapists and nurses to physical therapists to get together and say, Hey, we've got to rebuild the system from the bottom up that works for the people that matter the most. Insurance is important and it's critical to have coverage for the things that are expensive and unexpected. Um, But to use it as a payment model, if we haven't proven how asinine that is at this point, I I just tell people, I I don't know what else to tell you, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that you brought up the fact of insurance because I, I think a lot of times people look at direct primary care from the outside, not as a user yet, but from the outside and say, oh, you're trying to take the place of insurance. And what you're telling folks is if you come and get a membership, you don't even need insurance. That is, that's completely not true. If you're listening to this and someone has led you down that path, they have misled you completely because direct primary care is a very important piece of your overall health care. But it doesn't take the place of a catastrophic health plan. In fact, it fits in very well with an overall well put together, as I mentioned earlier, earlier, healthcare supply chain insurance is part of that. Now, here's the difference. If what you're doing is paying a whole lot of money every single month for an insurance plan that covers primary care and covers all of these things. And then you decide you're going to add a direct primary care membership on top of that. You're actually just increasing your cost. But here's what you're going to find out real quick. If you will actually step out of that system then and go to your direct primary care doctor, you'll find out very quickly that the rest of those pieces that you've been paying for, you don't need anymore. You can step away from that and have a much better well-designed plan. I tell this to employers as well. If you want to keep on with the exact same Blue Cross, United, Aetna, I don't care which one of the bookers you choose, you want to keep on with their same plan with co-pays for the same services the direct primary care offers, and you just want to add that on, and that's 
all you want to do, you're not going to be happy with the results. You've got to design plans where people have options to do that. And then you've got to lead them down that pathway. You've got to show them the benefits and more importantly, to begin with, incentivize them to use those services. Once they go DPC, they will not go back. What you'll always see is, uh, and I get this question, well, but what about the service? I mean, the, the specialist visits, what about the specialist visits? Which ones? Because a lot of those are going away. Once you start going to DPC, about 90% of the care is going to happen there, not 30% of the care with the rest of it being sent over to specialists. That doesn't mean there's not a need for specialists. But what it does mean is it's going to dramatically reduce that need for specialists. hundred percent. I mean, I think, you know, and the thing I say to people too is, you know, this is very regionally dependent. Um, you know, what happened, you know, when you look at like Massachusetts, for example, where, you know, Romney care and Obamacare were basically founded and developed um, when you look at the connector plans, you know, if you're an individual and you've got to go, buy a plan on the connector up here, you can't get a PPO option. They're all HMOs. So, you know, it, it's very hard for families and individuals that are, you know, having to buy their own insurance plan to figure out a way for us to help them integrate DPC into their overall medical plan and medical world. That's why I think employers and benefits advisors, not brokers, benefits advisors, are so important in this because you can do it. They can do exactly what you just said and customize plan options that there's still choice. You know, you're not taking anything away from your employees. If, if they like what they have, they can keep it. Well, I'm actually starting to sound like Obama at this point, but <laughs> um, if they like it, they can keep it. But as we know, as I just said, most people don't have a relationship with a primary care doctor. So you kind of have free range to incentivize them and develop plans that, you know, as you said, 98% are probably not going to go back to the old way of doing things, you know, once they get exposed to it. But, you know, how do you build it in? A good friend of mine that I've met up here didn't even know he was in my backyard until, you know, I got connected to him about a year after I opened is Adam Russo from the FIA group up here in Boston area. And, you know, when you look at the plan design he has for his own staff, you know, which is based there in the South Shore of Boston, which may as well be in China compared to where I am. So when Mike Tremblay opened up the DPC a couple of years after I did, I connected him with Adam. And now all Adam's employees have DPC with Mike Tremblay, you know, built into their plan. And, you know, th this is an industry leader that's setting an example and doing these innovative ways to not only help his bottom line and help his employees bottom line but give them better care and, re and retain employees and and you know there's ways you know he'll tell you his diaper story all the time you know about you know if they went and had a normal vaginal delivery at hospital x versus the big boston hospitals he'd give them three thousand dollars worth of free diapers and wipes you know there's different ways that you can do this when you're self-insured, you can develop a plan option that really meets your employees' needs where they are. And, you know, I, again, I really don't think this is complicated. You know, we've made it unnecessary, unnecessarily complicated. But, you know, the example I use when I try to explain 
why health insurance is so ass backwards in our industry is, you know, we get a mammogram cash for $250 and that includes the radiologist reading it. Now, if insurance worked the way that I would want, if I needed a mammogram, I'd be happy to pay that 250 per year. Okay. Which a majority of Americans, not all, but a majority can afford. And God forbid, if that mammogram came back abnormal, where I have a possibility of breast cancer or tumor, then I would want my insurance to say, we got you. Like, don't worry. You're not going to go broke. We're going to take care of you. The way we do it is we've duped you into saying, hey, we're going to give you that free mammogram, which you think costs thousands of dollars. But I'm telling you right now, it's 250 probably even lower in other areas of the country. But then we're going to expose you to a $3,000, $6,000 deductible if it comes back goofy. Which one would you choose? Right. Or even worse is we it may be inconclusive, but we think we saw something. So now you're going to have to have an ultrasound or you're going to yep. have to have another uh, MRI or a mammogram, but this time it's going to be diagnostic instead. And remember how uh, you uh, thought it was 2000. <laughs> well, that one's 4,000, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the fear. Why do people not get these things done? Why, what, you know, what we've seen now, Jeff, and I know you'll agree with me on this is health insurance plans have become barriers to healthcare. High deductibles scare the hell out of people. They don't know. People are not getting their regular preventative care done because they don't even understand that zero. Or if they do, they're terrified. Just like you said, what if they find something? Right. What if they find something? I can't afford for them to find something. So I'm just going to put my head down, keep on trucking until all of a sudden something catastrophic happens. And now you got stage three, stage four. You've got something that maybe you don't survive. Yeah, we, I mean, we see this all the time, you know, a few years back, a bunch of my colleagues in the Midwest, uh, particularly in the Kansas City area, um, did a fundraising thing with, with um, rest in peace, medical, RIP medical debt. Yeah, RIP, they, yeah. They raised a lot of money and, you know, basically got a huge amount of medical debt wiped out for people. And so I started saying, okay, why don't we do this up in New England? And when I started talking to them and we started getting the numbers in Massachusetts, and now mind you, this is the only medical debt that they could find. This doesn't mean that this is all the medical debt in this state. Now, we love to tout that, you know, everybody up here has insurance, right? Well, why was the medical debt in Massachusetts three years ago about $9 million? All right. Why is that? If everybody has insurance that covers everything, but because it doesn't and it covers the wrong things. So now you've got nine million in medical debt, and then you look at an organization, a great organization like Rest in Peace Medical Debt, and what they do, which they shouldn't even be needed, but the reality is they they are. And you're telling me that for every hundred dollars worth of debt I buy, like a million, you know, ten thousand or something's going to be relieved. What does that tell you about the pricing? If a hospital is willing to take a penny on the dollar, what does that tell you? So deductibles aren't necessarily a bad thing in, in HSAs and having people be consumers for the things that should be consumer driven. But when they don't have the knowledge and they don't have a tool and they don't have a guide, you know, look, concierge has been, has been got, given a bad rap because of the price associated with it usually. But the reality is, as a primary care doctor, I'm supposed to be your concierge. If there's something that's out of the scope of my ability or my comfort level, 
I'm supposed to guide you to the most effective, best quality, lowest cost facility or specialist to get that done. If I go and read the Wall Street Journal stock page on a Sunday, do you trust me to give you stock advice? No. <laughs> right? But we're expecting the average American who's busy working, taking care of their family to understand this system that we don't even understand. So they do exactly what you mentioned. I know I have a $3,000, $6,000 deductible, and that x-ray may cost me $600, which is my rent check this month. So I'm just going to say, screw it and not do it. Meanwhile, they've got a festering tumor in there, festering pneumonia, that then they end up having to pay all $6,000 of the deductible because they end up in the hospital. We are doing this so wrong, and it's so unethical, in my opinion. Agreed. I asked my colleagues do and, and patients, do insurance companies take an oath? No. We we took an oath. Live it. Stand by it. I wrote an article that I've yet to publish because it's the first one that I've probably been actually afraid of what the pushback would be. But it's literally that if you're it's almost the basis of it is that I felt like when I was in the system, I was aiding and abetting. Because, you know, we could get in the weeds here, but a lot of people don't understand the MLR. You know, they don't understand the medical loss right. ratio. That That's right. It's a percentage. And that the reason why the insurance company is going to process me looking in your kid's ear for five minutes all day long They'll process that claim and they'll pay that claim out. But then you need a life-saving medication or procedure that's expensive and they push back left and right. No one stops and asks, why is that? Why do they process claims on things that are really not even insurable? You know, and that's where the perverse economics and the perverse incentives that people just don't understand. And it's not their fault. You know, it's built this way on purpose. And That's fear, right. And fear is a really powerful motivator. And when you look at statistics, 87% of people, Americans that are on a high deductible insurance plan through their employer, never meet their deductible a year. So you have now spent thousands of dollars to maybe save 400. Good economics, yeah. right? And more and more people are getting on those plans. You know, the, the recent numbers show that about a third of folks that get their insurance through their employer, a third of those have a high deductible plan. Yep. And once again, a barrier to healthcare is what it really ends up being. Yeah, you certainly, you've got the folks that can't afford to put money in their HSA and do so and take advantage of it. Right. But when that's the free option from your employer or the low cost option for your employer, that's the one most people take. I mean, if you're making $30,000, $40,000 a year, it really doesn't matter what your health is in many cases. It's the only option you can afford. Right. Once again, that's because of just off-the-shelf plans and no one customizing these to make sure that there's true access to health care. That's right. what advisors do. That's how we help. The problem comes, so I had someone tell me, you know, the way to get through this is you talk to a direct primary care doctor. They probably have in their office 
some different executives that get things done there and they can send them down this pathway. The problem that we have seen, I'm going to throw some of my folks under the table now, is that when you reach out to a broker that may be in your local area, he wants to know how much he's going to get paid. How much are you paying him to do this? How much PEPM can he expect to get by including you in the plan? Red flag, red flag, red flag. Let me tell you, if you're out there and you're a DPC doctor or you're thinking about going that, that route, that is a red flag. First of all, that advisor, they're actually a broker. They're actually just an insurance agent. They don't even understand what DPC is at this point. If they're asking you that, they have no idea how to build a plan. They do not know what you do. They don't right. get it. You've got to find someone that gets it. When they do, they'll never ask you that question. They're going to build you into the plan, knowing the benefits that you bring to that plan is the, the, the moving over of claims. That is going to be claims that never hit that bucket. It's going to change the way the, the dynamic of the plan is. And there's actually going to be a chance for you to make more compensation in that model than there is by going and saying, hey, doc, can you give me 5 PPM? Can you give me 10 PPM? Because you're not taking time to learn how things work. Right. And that's, you know, and that's where I say, like, you know, I've spoken at plenty of conferences, you know, with benefits advisors in the room. And I've said, look, you know, if if you build these, you know, if you're already self have most of your clients self-insured and you have them not in a DPC model, I'm like, will you please at a minimum try to find a non-hospital owned primary care practice that you're using at a minimum? Because if you're using a hospital-based, you know, system for primary care, there is no way in hell you're going to control your cost. Zero. Um, you know, whether they listen or not, you know, who knows? But the bottom line is there are a lot of people out there now, you know, like you guys, benefits advisors that get it, TPAs that get it, right. PBMs that get it. And, you know, my hope is that I will live in a world one day where we are all sitting at a table together for the client in front of in front of us and devising plans that make sense for them from a cost perspective, from a risk perspective and a care perspective. Um, I mean, imagine, you know, this country writing laws without lawyers or legislators at the table. We're writing health plans and where, where are the doctors? Where are the nurses? Where are the people who actually know what the day to day system looks like nowhere to be found i mean that's changing thankfully um and i hope i'm around you know to continue to see that change and help with that change because you know this is this is my mission this is what i'm here for yeah absolutely and and guys once again if, if you're listening to this and you're not in the space of self-funded which level funded falls in that too. If you say all I do is level funded plans, but you don't know that's self-funded, then we need to have another conversation, but that's neither here nor there. That's just a part of that process. You need to understand that this is the primary part of that. Now, let me tell you another option for your folks that maybe you're, maybe you're a smaller company and you don't offer benefits yet. Uh, maybe you're in an industry where you see higher turnover. We have very successfully implemented a direct primary care membership in those situations and seen huge results from those companies in attracting and maintaining their staff. Uh, we had a, a restaurant 
here in the San Antonio area that implemented this here recently. And they're like, okay, where has this been our entire lives? We are not having people in and out of the door every week like we had. Folks are coming to us asking for jobs because they found out about this. Now, that's all they have at this point. Now, think about this. They're very small. All they have is that membership. But it's made such a huge impact in those lives. Those folks have no insurance. They can't afford anything. They have nothing. We're not saying that you don't need insurance, but this is huge for these folks. Huge. Because they're the ones that don't go anywhere or even worse. They go to that ER every time any little thing happens and the bill just floats around out there and follows them forever. So medical debt is just part of their life. It's just part of their life. Yeah, I mean, That's one of my- some people do. It, if you really want to get a B under my bonnet, you know, the, one of the biggest uh, arguments, you know, we get from academics or, you know, these so-called policy experts is that, you know, what about the poor, you know, what about the underserved, you know, with DPC and how do they pay for it? And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, 98% of Americans have a cell phone. 98% of those plans are under a hundred dollars a month. So they can afford, most people can afford it. It's whether they want to or not, but I digress. But let's take those people who truly, truly are struggling and really can't afford it. What are we doing for them now? We give them a mass health card or a Medicaid card and we say, oh, we give, we give you a card. So now you're getting care. No. That's right. What are their options? You know, are we really doing a good job taking care of them? Are we really doing a good job treating them as people with social determinants of health? No, we're not. And any and and they can argue. I mean, Mass Health right now, which is the Medicaid plan up here, is almost about forty percent of the state budget in Massachusetts. And what are we getting? What are we getting for it? What are they getting for it? So, I would argue that the food and drink that people put in their mouth is probably way more important to their health than anything I do or my colleagues do. And yet we give them EBT cards that they can go drink orange juice every day, or they can go get soda or whatever. Why can't we give them a DPC card? What is it about healthcare and accessing and paying for healthcare that is the one thing we feel that grown adults can't make their own decisions on. Well, let me tell you an interesting, uh, before I, I guess the precursor to this podcast that I had for a number of years is I did a live radio show out of Houston. And we talked about some of these same subjects, but multiple times I had politicians on my show and we would always bring up healthcare. It is amazing to me how ignorant they are on the subject. I I literally got into a discussion, lively discussion with a U.S. congressman whenever he said there's no reason someone making less than $40,000 a year doesn't just go to the doctor when they're sick. Now, I was talking about a report that showed how many of these folks simply don't go. They'll either put off a visit or just will not go. Now, interestingly enough, if it had to do with their kids, it was getting taken care of. If it had to do with them, they would not. And his comment on that was, that makes no sense. 
They have health insurance. They have it through work. There is no reason why they wouldn't go. You can't give me a reason. I said, well, I can, Congressman. <laughs> they don't have the money for the deductible. They don't have the money. to. They don't know how much it's going to cost, but they know what their deductible is, and they know they ain't got that. Most people in this country don't even have $400 in their bank account. Now, once again, that family probably all has cell phones. Yes, they probably all eat okay. That's certainly not the case for everyone. But in those cases, they have put other things ahead of their health. But the bottom line is they still have barriers to health that is just not in the minds of those folks in government whenever they look at these things. So why can't we give the folks that have Medicaid a card to use that for DPC instead? Why? It doesn't even cross their mind because they think they already have access. They said, okay, well, these people are on Medicaid. They can go to the doctor anytime they want. No, they can't. It's a four-month wait to see that doctor. Well, what do you mean by that? That's not a four-month wait. I go see my doctor in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, you do. But that's not a reality. That's not the way it works for people that are in those situations. They just yeah, don't get it. It's the actual answer. They don't get it. Yeah. If they did, then every congressman and senator would be on Medicaid. <laughs> right. Right. And it doesn't get any better because when they have Obamacare, oh, they make too much money for Medicaid. Now they get an Obamacare. It's the same problem. Finding a doctor that takes that, almost impossible. You talked about the situation there in Massachusetts. Well, guess what? In Texas, on the on the uh, ACA exchange, all HMOs, no yep. PPOs available in the whole state of Texas. We're, we're kind of big. There's a lot of yeah. stuff here. HMOs. If you like HMOs, this is a state for you. Uh, and yep. then we see some other crazy things. I'm not going to go too far down this road, but we see this push in a lot of parts of my industry towards ICRAs. An ICRA is just basically getting a group, a, a, a group on ACA plans. So that's a good idea. You want everyone to be on the exchange. You want everyone to have an HMO. I think it's a horrible idea. Those plans are terrible. Doctors don't take them. And here's something for you if you're in the state of Texas. If you want to get treatment at MD Anderson, don't believe me, go out and check their website. They do not accept a single ACA exchange plan that is sold in the state of Texas. You will not get your cancer treatment at MD Anderson unless you pay for it out of pocket. I'm sure it's cheap. They'll be happy to take care of you. Just give them a call. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's scary. That's not what you're looking for, right? That's not access to care. People don't get it. People don't get it. They, you, you want this to be the answer. It is not the answer. Only plans built around primary care, in this case, in this model, direct primary care, are really going to fix what ails us as a country in our healthcare system. That is my opinion. Uh, I know it's certainly yours, Jeff. Uh, but well, it's got to be the case. I don't even think it's opinion. I think there's data to support it. You know, Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people like to look, you know, just comment on, you know, some of our fellow industrialized countries with a single payer model. And and look, I'm not here to debate the pluses and minuses of each because there's good and bad with both. But what they don't fail to look at is what is what are those countries spending on primary care and mental health? It's almost double what we yes. do. So is Absolutely. it repair or is it the fact that they're putting the foundation first? And, you know, that's what we really have to look at. And unfortunately, 
a lot of what we do in primary care is not sexy. You know, it's not flashy. It's not, you know, it's sitting in a room with somebody for 35 minutes who's, you know, grieving that they lost their dog. You know, it's not high tech procedures. And so it's tough to get people to understand that. And that's why I use the foundation analogy so much, because no one ever looks at a house and goes and the first thing they look at is what the foundation looks like. You know, they want all the bells and whistles, right? Oh, it's got a swimming pool in there. Oh, great. Well, the foundation sucks. So your house is going to collapse in two months. It, but it's but it's really true and, and applicable to what we're doing in medicine. You know, we've taken away and, you know, all these companies, these tech companies that I see, you know, everybody's got the new best portal for data or whatever, or AI, whatever it is. Until we start putting a value back on that patient-physician relationship, nothing is going to change. Nothing. And I will stand on my mountain or my tombstone, whatever, and repeat that over and over. Because that's where the magic happens. That's where the individual has their needs and goals and, and, and wants addressed in the way that they need it. They're with a doctor that they choose is best for them and what their needs are. And that may not be me for everybody. And that's okay. It shouldn't be that way. Until we fix that very simple problem, nothing else is going to matter. You know, you can't, you know, if it's a pile of shit, it's a pile of shit, no matter which yeah. way, whatever you put on top of it. That's right. That's right. Right. Uh, my I had a had a buddy one time that said, you know that uh, that brown stuff on top of chicken shit. That that's also chicken shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it looks a little bit different. It's it's still the the same thing, and right. so yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying there. It has to be a fundamental switch mindset. You know, it, it it's just, it's interesting how so gradually it happened to us that our direct primary care access was kind of taken away so slowly over the years and we got moved into this. We actually thought we were getting better treatment by being moved to a specialist, right? That, that, that whole thing that happened, it made us feel special because now we were going to a specialist that this doctor said, oh, do you have... XYZ. The same thing that dad had that the family doctor took care of for all these years and he never had any problems, but now my doctor couldn't take care of it, but he made me feel special because he was going to send me to this expert, this specialist to make sure I got the best care possible. And I can see these things that happened over the years to my family. I'm sure it happened to yours. Heck, you were kind of even part of that cog for a while there where all of those things happened and you didn't question it until you did. And then right. you look back, you're like, Oh my gosh, I was just, I was part of the problem here. I was going through all these things and I allowed it to happen. I allowed my doctor to refer me to other places instead of saying, well, can't you help me with this? Right. Crazy. We, we little basic things now, like you can't go to your doctor on your annual physical and talk about anything else. Right. If you do, you're going to get a copay or if you heaven forbid, you're on an HSA plan, you're going to get a bill because your preventative was covered, but you talked about the shoulder that was bothering you. Well, now you got a bill for $225 as they talked about 
just those things that those things that happened in the office when they started moving your shoulder around and checking out your yep. range of motion and all that. Yep. Ever been yeah, that. I was part and parcel of it. And that's where, you know, like I just urge my colleagues to, you know, look within and I know this isn't easy and, you know, and that's what we're here for is to try to help, you know, make it easier. Um, but, you know, you got to kind of ask, what are you doing more harm than good? You know, and for me, you know, this model isn't easy. You know, there's certainly things about it that are hard, you know, you, your barriers are down. So you have a population now that's very hurt, very broken and, you know, clinging to you for help. And, you know, we've got to take care of each other because we got to heal the healers. Cause if we, if we aren't healed, we can't heal anyone. Um, so, you know, there's nothing's perfect, but when you look at the cost to benefit analysis here, you know, the costs go down quite a bit and the benefits go way up. And I can't see any other group of doctors um, from any specialty across the country that are doing the work that we're doing that goes highly unnoticed, unfortunately, um, not by everybody, but unfortunately by a lot of people that matter and have a lot more power than we do. And maybe that could be a good thing that it goes unnoticed, but um, for a little while, you know, that are really, really, really trying to, you know, do the best we can and make a system that gets back to what it's supposed to be about, which is the patient and the doctor working together, you know, in sickness and, and, and in health to keep you healthy. And, you know, right now we have a sick care system. We don't have a healthcare system and we're right. trying to build a healthcare system. And, you know, the best thing you can do if you want it fixed is, support us, you know, and that means walking with your feet, opening your wallet and saying, Hey, I'd rather, you know, pay you directly and have, and we help people on the insurance side too, you know, look like we try to find people to bet, you know, we work with local insurance guys that understand what we do, the why of what we do, and are always happy to help families and small business owners and individuals out to make sure they're picking a plan that is best suited for them. You know, if you lose your job and you come to me and you just told me you got diagnosed with an undefined lung tumor, I'm not going to tell you to go on a low premium, lower premium, high deductible plan that year. You're better off paying more upfront that year, given what you're going to go through. But that's where we've got to, you know, we've got to make sure that we're taking care of people on the individual basis, both from a care side and an insurance side. If we do that, a lot of magic's going to happen. It's going it, to, it really can change the game, but people got to buy in. No, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I, I think what is going to really turn the table here, what's got to happen and more people getting engaged with direct, direct primary care is what's going to make it happen. And that is going to be the population demanding it, the population demanding those relationships again and seeing what difference they really make. Because once again, I can remember, having those relationships with doctors. I can remember my family having those relationships with doctors. And and it's it's there. Since we got back in direct primary care, it's so different. It, it literally is 180 degree different from the experience that we had outside of it in a traditional system. When your doctor follows up with you, when your doctor just randomly sends you a text, how are you doing on that medication? Well, we weren't supposed to have a follow-up for another week. I mean, she just sent me a text randomly to check on me. 
When's the last time that happened to you? If you're listening and it hasn't happened to you, that's because you're not with a direct primary care doctor. That's because you don't be have a relationship. And it shouldn't be foreign, you know, like that's the thing. I mean, the thing I love about DPC is it takes all the old stuff that was really good. And then it takes the new stuff that's good. And, you know, there's a big difference doing a telehealth visit with someone that knows you and you know them versus right. doing it with a random Joe Schmo, you know, who's halfway across the country. Like, you know, it's, it's, I could use some really colorful analogies here, but I'll refrain. Um, you know, mm. let's just say it's like the one night stand versus the relationship, you know, um, it, it, there should be choice for everybody to have what they want. But I think it's particularly if you're an employer group and you're, you know, a family run business and you're looking to try to do something to help attract good employees, retain good employees, take good care of them. If you're not doing this, you're missing out on a really, really good opportunity. Yeah, let, let me tell you, this is what it, the way it's supposed to be. So that restaurant I was talking about here, it's a pizza restaurant. The DPC that we got them with is actually opening up a new location. They were so excited and so impressed with all this. They said, hey, when y'all do your ribbon cutting, let, let us know, and we're going to supply pizza for the whole thing at no cost. That's relationship right there, right? That is an actual two businesses and now the employees that have a relationship within a community that are now supporting one another. Yep. That's what can happen with direct primary care, bringing relationships back to your business. Once again, two businesses with a relationship, but also the difference that your employees will have having a relationship as well. Jeff, I sure appreciate you being on and sharing all this, man. I am a huge supporter in what you have done. Uh, the the I've heard you talk at a number of different places. Uh, we're both obviously members of the Free Market Medical Association as well. And all the excitement that you bring to this, the notoriety you bring to it, it, it really does make a huge difference. And if, if you don't, you probably don't get to hear that enough, but I truly, as an advisor, appreciate what you do and you being straight up with us and giving us the help when we need it, giving us the direction when we need it, because Lord, we need a lot of direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's, I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, I'm always happy to talk to anybody and, you know, support who supports what we do and vice versa. But the, I'll tell you, I'll leave you with this quick little quote. This was put up at the uh, conference I was at this past weekend. And, you know, it's uh, it's hard sometimes to stay positive when you're trying to, you know, really move a mountain here. And uh, but this quote really resonated with me. And I actually uh, posted it on my uh, LinkedIn feed over the weekend. But it says, when a complex system is far from equilibrium, small islands of coherence in a sea of chaos have the capacity to shift the entire system to a higher order. And, you know, that really resonated with me because I think we sometimes do forget that the little, little things we're doing together really downstream, we may not see it right away and we may not see it in our lifetime, but they really are making a big friggin' difference. And that's when you got to keep at it. Yeah, absolutely. And this this truly is one of those situations where it, it may be small now and maybe you haven't heard of it quite yet, but it's coming. It's coming and it's going to be a big deal. It really is. Uh, 
So I really do once again, appreciate you, you being here, Jeff. It's, uh, it's amazing the impact that it's already having. Uh, and I think it's just going to grow from here. It, it really, it has no choice either that, or we're going to end up with a complete collapse of the healthcare system. And then even in the rebuild, at least yeah. we'll have that foundation once again, to, to start with. So once again, I appreciate right. that. Thanks so much. All man. right. You got it, buddy. All right. Hey guys. And don't forget, we have our monthly, why does healthcare suck audio room on LinkedIn. The next one is going to be on October 31st and we're going to look for healthcare horror stories. What else would you expect on Halloween, right? Whatever your horror story is, we want to hear it. Make sure you join in that day and share whatever it happens to be, whether it was someone who was a, like uh, Dr. Gold here, who was in the traditional system and finally just couldn't put up with anymore. We want to hear some of those horror stories that finally made you move on or you just had a terrible situation with a family member through the healthcare system. We want to hear those horror stories, but guess what? We're going to have some happy stories too, because you just ain't have a Debbie Downer. We got to have some happy stories about things like we heard today, where Jeff Gold made that switch over to DPC, changed his life. And let's be honest, he's changed the lives of many others in a very positive way because of him making that stand and moving to direct primary care. So you guys make sure you go out to your insurance, your choice.com. You can sign up for the monthly room there. You can also go out to hwpowerhour.com and sign up for the weekly podcast. Get, get it right into your inbox. That is hwpowerhour.com. Thanks again for joining with us. Y'all have a super blessed week.